Hello and welcome to the latest Mooney Hunt Politics podcast. Uh, this is being recorded at around 11.30 on Thursday the 29th of July. Apologies if you can hear some extraneous noise in the background. On one side of the building there's a tree surgeon doing a fantastic job uh, pruning out and thinning out the trees and on the other side there's roadworks and I thought one of them would end soon but um, after about an hour of waiting, decided to proceed and start getting ahead with this. Um, I, it's actually two podcasts this week. Um, the first one is, which is this one, uh, it will be my annual summer political reading list. And then the second one will be a couple of political comments I've made um, in the broadsheet piece. And I'm going to expand on them to deal with some of the disappointing stuff and what I see as a, the importance of that. So that'll be the next podcast and I'll be posting that shortly after this one. Anyway, so welcome to this podcast, which is my fifth annual summer political reading list. And as the name suggests, the books on this list have a political theme or connection. All the books on the list are nonfiction and reflect my own personal prejudices and tastes. Now, in the list, I've included a few biographies, histories, and kind of polemical discussions and explorations of issues of domestic and wider interest. Now, none of the books could be said to be a light read, but neither neither are they terribly heavy going either. They're a little bit on the academic side, but but all of them, I think, could be said to be well-written and accessible. Indeed, some of them are exceptionally well-written. Most have been published over the last six to 12 months, which means in most cases that they are hardbacks. Anyway, so the first one is a very personal choice because it's it's edited by a very good friend of mine, Brian Murphy. It's from Whence I Came. And this is a collection of original essays on the Kennedy legacy and on the special political ties between Ireland and the United States. Now, the editors of this book, as I said, are Brian Murphy and Donegal Beckham, both of whom are key figures behind the annual Kennedy Summer School in New Ross. Um, now, they've written a couple of chapters or a couple of essays for this uh, book, but so too have a, a really impressive lineup of other uh, writers, including Cody Keenan, who was President Obama's speechwriter, Kerry Kennedy, who's the president of the RF uh, Robert Kennedy uh, Human Rights Organization and obviously a member of the famous family. Tad Devine, who was a former senior advisor to Bernie Sanders, Al Gore and John Kerry election campaigns. And there's about another dozen other writers. Um, so it's a really, really good book. It's a cracking good read. And the other benefit is all the editorial royalties have been donated to the New Ross Community Hospital in the memory of the late Noel Whelan. Excellent book, well produced and well worth a read. Next one is The Empire of Pain, which is, has the subtitle of The Secret History of the Sackler Dynasty by Patrick Ratton Keefe. Now, I came to this book via the author's brilliant eight-part 2020 podcast series, Wind of Change. Now, that podcast explores the remarkable claim that the hit song at the time of the fall of the Berlin Wall, Wind of Change, which was uh, released and recorded by the Scorpions, was in fact written by the CIA as part of a PSYOPs campaign to ferment a clamour for democracy behind the Iron Curtain. Now, on that podcast, one of the bonus tracks is read and reading Chapter 16 of Empire of Pain, and it's a very, very tempting appetizer. The book itself, Empire of Pain, details the, 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 the history and the background and the origins of the Sackler family, who own, I think it's Purdue, which is a, a, a drug, drug production company. Now, over the years, they've built a multi, they've made up a multi-billion fortune, and a lot of it was based on produce, producing and marketing Valium. Now, that built their reputation. What has damn nearly destroyed it in the last decade or so was their reckless and aggressive marketing of OxyContin, a very powerful prescription painkiller. 
Now, OxyContin has generated about $35 billion in revenue, but it's also been a catalyst for the American opioid crisis that has killed literally hundreds of thousands. The book itself is an exceptionally well-written and exceptionally pacey, devastating portrait of a super wealthy family who lavished donations and endowments on the arts and sciences while deploying a scorched earth legal strategy to evade any accountability for what's happened about OxyContin and to crush anyone who dares to challenge them. Exceptionally good read. Next book is The Ugly Truth, which is uh, subtitled Inside Facebook's Battle for Domination and is written by Shira Frankel and Cecilia Kang. Now, there's no shortage of books about Facebook, uh, but this one stands out because the authors tell an overarching story of the world's largest social network in a hell of a lot of detail and depth. Now, the New York Times Review described the authors as producing the ultimate takedown via a, a careful, comprehensive interrogation of every major Facebook scandal. Now, that word takedown might be seen as a pejorative, but the, because, because you don't really get a sense that the authors intended this as a hatchet job. It's quite clear that their research leads where it leads, and unfortunately for the people at the top of Facebook, Facebook um, particularly the executives, that leads to an exploration of the naive hubris, the toxic levels of factionalism and the corporate cynicism that exists in their C-suite. It's a chilling and fascinating read. The details of problems, but unfortunately can offer no solutions. Next book kind of brings us back onto the island, which is Political Purgatory by Brian Rowan. And it has the subtitle, The Battle to Save Stormont and the Play for a New Ireland. <clears throat> now, I know a lot of people's eyes will glaze over the very mention of the words Northern Ireland, but like it or not, the politics of the North matter across this island and the neighbouring one too, and indeed, indeed also in Brussels. Political Purgatory is, uh, is written by the respective political journalist, some would say veteran, Bri uh, Brian Rowan, and it impartially charts the events of the last four years in careful and meticulous detail with valuable insights from key current and past political players. It looks at the collapse of the Stormont institutions, it looks at the, the Cash for Ash scandal, but it looks at the stuff behind that and it puts it in the context of how the peace process and the political process has played out. So what you're getting as a result of that is an essential primer for anyone who's looking to understand the politics of Northern Ireland, particularly the political impact of Brexit, the Northern Protocol, on Stormont and in relations between Dublin and London. A separate piece of work, um, which is much shorter, is Dr. Cathy Hayward's The Irish Border, What Do We Know and What We Should Do About It? It's only just 80 pages long, but it's a valuable and concise companion to, to, to Brian's book. Now, very few academics have written as knowledgeably or excessively about the impacts of Brexit on relations on and between these islands as Cathy. Her book is detailed and it is a deeply informed examination of the political, economic and social impacts of the Irish border and the extent to which its existence has helped define unionism. That point, that point in particular is exceptionally well made in the book and it's, read, it's worth reading for that alone. Now, sticking with the North, but well, kind of, there's a, the next look is by the Belfort-born historian and lecturer in defence and international affairs, Aaron Edwards. Aaron's book is Agents of Influence, Britain's Secret Intelligence War Against the IRA. Now, he charts just how comprehensively British intelligence infiltrated the Provost and Sinn Féin during the Highland Troubles. Now, we might know some of the, the famous um, agents like Steak, Knife and Infliction. Um, but it seems that the penetration of the provost by the British Army's notorious FRU, what was called the Force Research Unit, was both deeper and, and went to much higher levels than, than we would have thought. Now, 
one of the things you have to do is this. You have to take all of this with a pinch of salt because anything to do with the world of intelligence, intelligence gathering, sacred world, well, the truth is always going to be the first and unfortunately not the only casualty. So you've got to question some of this stuff as you're reading through it, but no doubt that Aaron has actually put together an exceptionally well-researched book because he's used what are now declassified documents and a lot of first-hand testimonies of both agents and their handlers. Um, he'd previously written ab uh, about the UVF back in 2017, um, Behind the Mask, uh, which itself was, an ex was a very, very in-depth expose of how the UVF was structured and worked. Now, the next two picks on my list are very personal indulgences because they're to do with American politics. Now, I'm a big, big fan of LBJ. He still remains my favourite, though flawed, political figure of the, the American 20th century. But any kind of American politics of the, of the latter half of the 20th century really interests me. So the first book looks at one US political figure whose name you rarely hear mentioned these days, Spiro T. Agnew. Now, there's a good reason why we don't hear it mentioned. Agnew, who was Richard Nixon's vice president during his first term and into part of his second term, was a total crook. Agnew was forced to resign as vice president after federal prosecutors uncovered his involvement in what they called bribery, corruption and extortion while he was governor of Maryland and indeed just before and even, and, and even before that. And that included taking kickbacks from local state contractors and builders even after he'd entered the White House. Now, not that Agnew went easily. A plea agreement saw him plead nola contendere, no contest, to a single charge of tax fraud, and so he was spared any prison time. So the book is written by Rachel Maddow and Michael Yarvitz, and it's entitled Bagman, The Wild Crimes, Audacious Cover-Up and Spectacular Downfall of a Brazen Crook in the White House. It tells of Agnew's undeserved rise, but his well-endearned fall with both wit and style. It's a remarkable political scandal, which we'd all but forgotten, as it was quickly surpassed by the White Watergate revelations. And by the way, when you're reading this, don't forget that if it hadn't been for this, if it hadn't been for this expose of Agnew's uh, corruption, it's quite possible that Agnew would have become president in succession to Nixon. And therefore, America would probably have ended up with two presidents in peace and succession. Because while the American, well, the, the the Maryland prosecutors had to fight hard to get Agnew to resign, there's no doubt that if he had become president, that this that scandal would have broken, and American politics would have been busted apart for decades. The second book is very much an antidote to, to the, the Agnew book. It's called The Man Who Ran Washington: The Life and Times of James A. Baker III, and it's written by Peter Baker and Susan Glasser. Now, it's an extraordinary book of an extraordinary life. Now, James Baker was a legendary White House Chief of Staff and a superb Secretary of State. He was a pivotal figure and a power broker in both American and Republican politics for over a quarter century after Watergate. Now, as the book a blurb itself observes, no Republican won the presidency without Baker's help or ran the House House without his White House without his advice from Nixon onwards. It's very, very well it's titled because Baker did understand better than anyone how to make Washington work. He knew how to negotiate and how to make and deliver on agreements. He was a ferocious election campaigner. He was heavily involved in Reagan's campaigns, in Ford's campaigns, which lost, uh, but also more importantly in the Bush campaigns. Indeed, he was famously involved in the Florida recount as one of the lawyers. But after the election was over, he understood the need to work with Democrats to help deliver on the domestic agenda a skill that today's Trumpian GOP has either forgotten or chosen to ignore. Now, 
The list was about to end there because that's eight books. But actually, there's two more that I want to add to it because I think they're really important. And they deal with an important issue, which is the UK's continuing problem understanding its place in the world. I've referenced this in many articles before using the withering line from the US Secretary of State, Dean Acheson, who, who back in 1962 described the problem as the Great Britain has lost an empire and has not yet found a role. I think that's a problem which Britain is still is still dealing, maybe it's fair to say, to which London and England are still dealing after Brexit. So the first of the two books is Empire Land, How Imperialism Has Shaped Modern Britain by Satnam Sangara. Now, he looks at the legacy of empire and where so, and, and, and kind of where so many of the little Englanders, and particularly the Brexiteers, only see light and dismiss any criticism of empire as unpatriotic. Sangre shows that there is much more about it that is dark and is hidden. He doesn't approach the subject as a historian, but rather as a journalist, and the net result is a book that tackles Britain's collective amnesia over the dark aspects of its colonial past. But he also shows how the Brexiteer dreams of reviving colonial links to replace trade with Europe with trade with the colonies are based on a myth. He shows the difficulties of those relationships, the tensions of those relationships, and knocks on the head the myth that this was some kind of mutually beneficial arrangement. The second book is an even more critical assessment of the legacy of empire, though it takes it from a more academic perspective. Time's Monster, History, Conscience and Britain's Empire by Priya Satya. And, and uh, is an academic work, and she's, in, and she's a very, very important historian. It's an important corrective to the heaving shelves of these histories of the British Empire. While Dr. Sasha has produced a highly critical history of the British imperialism route and points out how much it was rooted in violence and equality, it is less a corrected history of the empire and more a detailed examination of how and why British historians sought to frame how the empire was understood for generations afterwards. So that's my 10 books. I hope you enjoy them. I hope you get a chance to check out one or two of them or even more over the next couple of weeks. And I'm taking a break. Um, hopefully I'll get away and I'll see you back here in September. But as you, as I said to you, if you keep an eye out, I'll actually have a new podcast going up fairly shortly, looking at what's happening on the Irish political scene in particular what's been happening with the Sapone appointment. So anyway, enjoy the summer and talk to you again very, very soon. Goodbye.